fragile. You're listening to Trent Talk, your Halo by Halo guide to America's greatest treasure, Trent Trent Reznor. This week we'll be discussing um, the fragile. That's correct. Uh, The left side, not the right side. (laughs) I mean, this is such a massive undertaking because it's it's an incredible double album. Yeah. Trent Reznor basically doubles down on like every every possible level like cuz his instrumentalism like his lyricism his vocal performances his collaborations with other artists mm-hmm. it's it's maybe the greatest thing 9 inch nails has ever done yes um and, and that came out in 1999 right technically it's halo 14 but we're going to be splitting this up over 2 weeks mm-hmm. um say hello to your co-host oliver that's his paw on the microphone right now <laughs> all right Oh, right. If you're a nine-inch <laughs> newbie, no, wait. If you're a nine-inch nails fanatic, a.k.a. <laughs> Resner, then this podcast should be a fun repository of inside jokes and references. But if you're a nine-inch newbie, then uh, I forgot the intro. I think the intro is getting a little bit long anyway. It is. I, feel well, like I mean, we... it's fine. It's fun. <laughs> Check in as... Shia Carey and Claire Dickerson discuss Nine Inch Nails and learn a little bit about themselves along the way. Yeah, there we go. This is good industrial rock and roll uh, uh, music. music. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a 1999 double album, as we said. Um, we're going to be talking about just half of it, but I think this is the better half. It, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll change my mind. But yeah. this has a lot of, of great songs on it. And they both have some odd choices, but it's a great album. It's super ambitious, and as we mentioned before, it took Trent, like, fucking five years to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, so after the, uh, what do you call it? Self-destruct tour. Yep. Um, when Trent was, uh, basically just destroying every instrument and every stage and every fucking dressing room. Like, basically he pushed it to the absolute limit, um, with all of his material that he just came out with on Uh the downward spiral. Uh, but then he kind of... I don't know, he hit, he hit a writer's block because he was at a point in his career where he was, like, as famous as he could possibly be. Um, and yet, like, I don't know, he wasn't he wasn't experiencing whatever he needed to experience to have creative juices flow. Yeah. So he tried a bunch of different stuff. He moved to Big Sur for a little bit by the sea where he lived alone. Um, but that didn't work out so great for him. He tried recording songs there, only came out with one track, mm-hmm. which was La Mer. Is that right? La Mer, yep. Which we'll get to later. Um, And then eventually he settled on moving his studio to New Orleans, which is an interesting choice. Um, And he rebuilt an entire thing. Uh, So originally he was at Le Pig in uh, Cielo Drive, Mm -hmm. the the Manson house. Mm -hmm. And uh, built a new studio in New Orleans called... It's really early in the morning. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I should mention. Did you make notes? I, I do have notes. I do. Yeah, have, so I, was just, notes. I was just trying to wing it. <laughs> no, why would you do that? I don't know. So yeah, he built Nothing Studios in New Orleans, which was a funeral parlor that mm-hmm. Trent bought in '95. Now, buying a funeral parlor <laughs> is that like hacky or great? It's great. In 1999, it's Trent doing it. It's great. I mean, we were still obsessed with vampires and things at that point like we as americans and possibly others in the world so i mean isn't I it a little like tim burtony like isn't it creepy that i'm in a funeral parlor yeah, but recording like, the songs uh tim burton is not a beetle 
I mean, <laughs> but yes, it is. It is. But at the same time, like that was like Tim Burton up until probably the somewhere in the two thousands was so embraced and as being like the the weirdo. And the I think that like hope. our our culture loved that. Like, I mean, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas will always be great. Yeah. Even if it sure... has no plot. <laughs> I'm sure that, like, if Robert Smith would have opened up a recording studio in a funeral home. God. There's so many, like, when we, when we do this podcast, I'll, like, mention other artists. I'm like, oh, man, I really want to do a podcast about The Cure now. <laughs> well, we already have a podcast about Bjork coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, spoilers. Oh, shit, shit. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Oh man, we could we should totally do a CTB in this episode. Um, we'll get to it. Yeah, next week. Um, so, oh yeah, so Trent brought a little uh, memento from Le Pig Studios yes. from Cielo Drive. It was the door mm-hmm. where um, Big Patty, one of the Mansonites, um, scrawled "pig" in blood mm-hmm. um, after she murdered like four people. Helped murder about four people. Was it the same door? Same door. Yeah. Yeah, the door. Um, so he threw, he threw that up on the funeral parlor just to give it that extra creep factor. Yeah. And if you're into, like, occult magic or whatever, like, portals are always really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like a per- mm-hmm. protective circle or, like, a summoning circle or mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. Mementos are important. Yeah, yeah. We actually just listened, I don't want to, like, plug tons of stuff, but we just listened to a podcast about, um, the Charles Manson murders. It was a three-part... Learned a lot. It was a three-part episode on the last podcast on the left. I just heard about this podcast. It's all about like horror and serial killers. And it really gave an interesting insight to Charles Manson because I guess I never read much about him. I didn't know much about him except for like the fact that all those people got brutally killed. But um, knowing more about him, it like paints him as this bumbling idiot who's just trying to kind of keep up with the fads, and he, he just, like, had been in jail for so long that he didn't know how to be a regular citizen, and all of a sudden he's just like, eh, I guess we kill people. Hey, yeah, this is what we're all about. making a race war. I don't know. Let's do it. Yeah. That's the thing. He was just kind of this ringleader person who, like, basically just preyed on the worst instincts of everybody. And, and then they it... were on so much acid. Was, yeah, that's the thing. I, don't... I can't even leave my couch when I low-dose acid. And right. these people were just, like, taking... Acid on acid on acid on acid. And then living in the desert where there's, like, no facilities whatsoever. Yeah. And I don't even know how they were feeding themselves or, take, or like, taking a shit. Like, it doesn't seem like any of that was happening normally. Right. So, like, they were in, like, a very bad way. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then eventually this these ideas kind of got out of hand and they all sort of had their own perspective on why they were doing it. Yeah. Um, and I guess it all came down to text pretty much being... Like, an extremely competent killer, even though Despite he, the fact that he was the biggest idiot alive. He, yeah, he cooked the his brain completely. idiot alive. Tell the, tell the listeners, before we leave from this digression, what the people in the podcast said, how Tex was found. Right, so Tex was on acid for about a week straight, uh-huh. and then he disappeared from the Manson compound, uh-huh. and then they found him at Manhattan Beach in a crowd of children crawling on hands and knees, just going... Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. And this is the guy who, when he went to kill, what was the name of the guy? Wojciech. Yeah, at the Polanski yeah, house. Yeah, he, w- he woke him up. The guy said, what did he say? Like, who w- are Wojciech you? Wojciech is like, who are you? What do you want? And he said, 
I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work. So the guy who said that and then stabbed all these people and encouraged the little ladies to was stab a, all was these people... Was a car, like, a month before found that. found as a car <laughs> on Manhattan Beach, just beep, beep. I am here to do the devil's work. What a fucking idiot. Beep, beep. Um, Apparently anyway. acid was the only way he found clarity, and then I guess not, but... Anyway, let's get into so, the fucking hell. I mean, that's the thing about Manson is like, <laughs> even now, he has this sort of infectious, like, he's just so fascinating. He's so weird. Definitely listen it to that if any, you haven't. Like, his whole life is just, I mean, he was an orphan with no name. Uh-huh. He was born as no name. Sorry. We're, we're, yeah, we let's, just, no, no, we keep okay. getting sucked into it. I'll, I'll put links to that podcast. We're almost like 10 minutes in and we oh, haven't even started this. All right. Yeah, I know. So... Um, even just looking at the credits on The Fragile, that you can see how massive this album was. It has yeah. collaborations with everyone ever. We had a bunch of regulars coming back. You had Danny Lohner, mm-hmm. Clint Manziel, mm-hmm. um, Alan Mulder, yep. Dave Ogilvie. Yep. Um, and then I checked it. I actually counted them. We have background vocals from 15 different people, mm-hmm. and then nine people in a chorus, and then two entire choirs. Yeah. People playing a trumpet, cello, violin. Dr. Dre shows up. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, he... He like brought in a like a I forgot his name. I think I have it written down somewhere. A consultant who produced uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Oh. I don't know if I have that guy, but I wrote down the name of um Mike Garson and I think he worked with David Bowie and a bunch of people, so he might have also worked with Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, this is I was looking at Bob Ezrin. Oh, Bob who's Ezrin. A producer wow, of there's the so Wall. many cuz like this Garson fellow, he played piano on Just Like You Imagine. He worked with Bowie, Smashing Pumpkins, a bunch of people who were big at the time. So that's really cool. So ultimately, would you consider this like a concept album? He... I, I don't think the narrative is coherent enough. I, I don't think, think I think it's Downward in... Spiral is actually a concept album, in spite yeah. of every song kind of standing on its own. I agree with that. I think that if you... Like, I think... Yes and no. Like, there are definitely themes, song to song. Like, I think maybe there's, like, concept snippets. Like, there's definitely, like, La Mer and The Great Below and, like, The Frail into the Wretched and things like that. Yeah, like, a lot of instrumental tracks will play there's into There's a another. lot of a lot of songs that almost, like, depend on the song before or after them in order to feel like a full song, though. Like, I wouldn't recommend listening to certain tracks on their own. Right, and but I wouldn't say it's like a concept album the way that like Tool imagines that their shit's right, a concept ugh. album. I always ugh Tool. I like Tool, but if you're a Tool fan, please don't talk to me about Tool because I literally do not care. It's one of those could things. not care less. I can't talk to a Tool fan. Like Fight Club's a fine movie. Don't talk to me about Fight Club. <laughs> I know what the rules are. I do not care about your thoughts. Edward Norton was so attractive in that movie that I just can't. Get and like over Bill it. Hicks is like kind of a talented comedian. Oh, he's great. <laughs> don't even, don't even. But, like, the thing, I mean, Bill Hicks was more of, um, he wasn't even much, like, I think about Bill Hicks the way I think about people like Patton Oswalt. Like, I don't think they're necessarily funny, but I think that, like, everything they say is very important. I mean, he was a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. He, he basically opened it up for people to talk about a lot of different alternative topics that yeah. were, were not pretty much done yeah. before him. But Bill Hicks fans, don't email me. I don't fucking care. I do not care. <laughs> you want to email me? Email me about Nine Inch Nails. So anyway, fuck Tool. <laughs> no, fuck Tool fans. Fuck Fight fuck Club. Fuck Fight Club fans. Fuck, fuck Bill, Bill Hicks. Hicks fans. But I like all of the above. Very, very much. Very, very much. Always a place in my heart. Um, Danny Loner worked with Maynard a lot. 
So there's a little crossover. Oh and nope, never mind. Oh, another quick note. Uh, Chris Vrenna left the band. Ooh. In on in uh, like a I don't know under stormy situation. I don't know what the fuck I was saying. I didn't know that. Under under uh yeah in bad terms. I don't know how or why. It just there was a quick note in like this Rolling Stone article I was reading. Chris huh. Vrenna took off, so they had to have a bunch of different drummers come in and finish the album. I wonder if um, Chris Vrenna's Project Tweaker had started around 1999. You keep talking, and I'm going to do a little fact check. Sure. Um, so yeah, my the reason I was questioning if it was a concept album is yeah they brought in Bob Ezrin who created this who helped create this rock and roll masterpiece of the Wall, which is all about the protagonist sort of like looking at all the barriers between himself and and his fans and the rest of the world and mm-hmm. and yeah that's kind of what's going on here because it's it's a protagonist who's sort of trying to figure out like what the fuck is going on yeah um so like downward spiral like the, the whatever the narrative dude um was he was like questioning everything in his life you know whether it was like religion or relationships drug abuse whatever um mm-hmm. he was questioning all these things and then eventually it kind of comes to a resolution where he kills himself sort of mm-hmm. then hurt it could be a suicide right. note so right. that actually has like a resolution but fragile, it's kind of like the protagonist is trying to sort of grow and heal, and then at the end, there's not really a resolution. So I think that's what keeps it from being an actual concept album. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how right ends, but we'll get there next week. And um, I confirmed that Chris Reno's Project Tweaker, which is really good if you like kind of uplifting electronic music, I highly recommend Tweaker. But... um. That began in 2001, or the first album came out in 2001, so he could have been writing around this time. I didn't know that he stormed out of, that's weird. Yeah, he left on bad terms, and they had to bring in a bunch of different set drummers. He also, I mean, like, Chris Renna had been touring with with Marilyn Manson at least up until 2009, so maybe there was, I mean, I thought, I mean, we both thought there was Manson beef up until this point, but... Oh, no, that was... He was still involved with Starfuckers, so, I don't know. Actually, um... Like, there, there's basically two major emotional landmarks in Trent Reznor's life, uh, which is his grandmother passed. Yeah. Um, right before this album came. Well, during the five-year period where this album was in development. And then was it also... five or three? Because the, the tour ended in 2006. 2006? I mean, 1996. <laughs> Rain Woman's powers are reduced. I have had three sips of coffee. The tour ended in 1996, so I guess it was... Right, and you don't do any writing on tour so much. I it mean, looked he like did, he was trying. But he did he some was soundtrack working. work. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, keep what keep was talking. I talking about. Oh yeah, his grandmother mm-hmm. passed, and then yeah. also his uh, relationship with Marilyn Manson completely deteriorated. Mm-hmm. They were no longer buds. Yeah. Um, and which is sad because they apparently they were like best friends. Um, yeah. And they sort of developed this power dynamic that wasn't good for either of them. Where like. Trent sort of, um, I don't know, expected him to pay tri- render tribute unto Caesar or whatever. Yeah. Because he sort of created Manson. Yeah. Um, but then Manson wanted to be sort of visionary and do his own fucking thing and was kind of a dickhead. Yeah. Um, so actually, I have a bunch of quotes I pulled uh, okay. where they're just talking shit about each other. Yeah. And these were interviews in like 2007, 2009. Uh-huh. So this was like way, way later and like they're still not quite, you know, they haven't gotten over it. Mm-hmm. Um. So, actually, yeah, here's, here's where they first started drifting apart. Um, Reznor said that, um, so he, after, the, after the self-destruction tour, he did not have spiritual satisfaction. So when something bothers him, he pours himself into another project. So he, he worked with Marilyn Manson, making his 
probably his uh, most famous album, Antichrist Superstar. Mm-hmm. That's got like beautiful people and stuff on it, which and we stuff. should probably talk about. I don't know. Ah, uh, we don't need to. But um, he was basically staying on tour uh, because the Manson camp party every night, and there's always something going on all the time. And um, he basically got burned out, just sort of like constantly hanging with the Manson crew. Yeah. So here's an actual quote from Trent. Um, Manson is a malicious guy and will step on anybody's face to succeed and cross any line of decency. Seeing him now, drugs and alcohol rule his life and he's become a dopey clown. During the Spiral Tour, we propped Manson's band up to get our audience turned on to them. And at that time, a lot of the people in my circle were pretty far down the road as alcoholics. Not Manson. His drive for success and self-preservation was so high, he pretended to be fucked up. A lot, even when he wasn't. Mm. Things got shitty between us, and I'm not blameless. The majority of it, though, was coming from a resentful guy who finally got out from under the master's umbrella and was able to stab him in the back. So, strong words from yeah. Mr. Reznor, even in 2009. Yeah. Um, and then Marilyn Manson's comeback, I guess he he um, he heard whatever it was yeah, that yeah. said. that A doped up clown sounds kind of fun. It could be something you'd send to a kid's party and you'd be really upset you hired the wrong person. (laughs) Which is kind of me. Lipstick. Drunk sometimes. Since I've known Trent, he's always let his jealousy and bitterness for other people get in the way. I'm not talking about me. I sat back and watched him be jealous of Kurt Cobain and Billy Corgan and a lot of him. A lot of other musicians. In the words of his own song, you shouldn't bite the hand that feeds you. You should... Take that hand and punch yourself in the face. <laughs> so, typical Manson bullshit. I mean, sometimes he can seem like an erudite person. Right. But a lot of times he's also just kind of a bitch. He's kind of a bitch. I mean, like... So, like, I've never been a huge fan of Manson. But I did, like, really appreciate that whole, like, shock artist thing that he was doing. Like, I've liked... I've always liked the artist that... Because he kind of did the whole gender-bending thing. A little bit. And mechanical animals, he had like boobs or something. And like, if he can bag Rose McGowan and Dita Vontis, he's got to be doing something, right? You know, because those I men mean, are smoking hot. And he had like <laughs> the one really valuable thing to say in response to Columbine is basically like, "Oh God, what did he say? I'm gonna look it up. You talk about whatever you were gonna say." Um. <laughs> so I think with Manson, a lot of the time, like the uh, the medium is more important than the message. That's it's it's a lot more form than substance, you know. Because mm-hmm. uh, like it's it's sort of the aesthetic he's going for. A lot of his music to me sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's I mean it's got the sort of heavy Rob Zombie super processed guitars, but really it's just kind of droning and not very artful. Um, it's just kind of the the sort of I don't know, almost the philosophy of what he's going for, because it's like totally alienated freaks, and he basically embraced that sort of circus aesthetic even more than Trent did, you know, the fucking sideshow weirdness, and and then, but, like, there's a lot of quotes um, in Louder Than Hell, The History of Industrial Rock, where it just describes, like, Manson and his crew just basically being the most depraved weirdos just to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of it. They were pushing they were pushing the envelope just to do it. Um, and whatever it was they were trying to say was less important than, like, how they were saying it. Mm-hmm. I can't find... I can only find um, weird snippets that aren't what I'm looking for in a video. And I don't really want to play a video. But basically, the gist of it was that when the kids... I mean, like, this was 1999 when that happened. I don't know if you really remember it. 
the Columbine shootings. I, do, I remember uh, Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. Michael Moore documentary. Came I was out. in like sixth grade and we used to have to do um, like, like you know how you do like, what is it called? A tornado drill. We had to do like school shooter drills. Oh yeah, we had basically. to do the, what do they call Like a blackout drill? Or... Yeah. And like, it was terrifying. I think it was like the single most horrifying event that like shook me for a long time even though it happened in Colorado and I grew up in Wisconsin like just the idea of it terrified me and um I actually saw Colum I didn't even like try we were just like my friend and I just happened to be driving through Littleton Colorado and I was just like just started like hyperventilating I was like I recognize that school oh my god but um because it's terrifying but basically the response to it because it was the first like school shooting that we had and Everybody blamed the kids listening to, like, Marilyn Manson and playing, like, Mm. video games that were violent and stuff like that. And Marilyn Manson went on to say something that was basically just, like, trying to talk about, like, who's to blame and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you want to blame these kids because of the things that they're listening to and everything, but, like... The one thing that nobody ever bothered to do was just, like, talk to them and find out what was wrong with them. Mm. And it was just, it was more profound than that. But, like, he had a really, really thoughtful, like, heartfelt response. I'll throw it up on the fucking blog, but... Yeah, I think it was actually, he appeared on Bill O'Reilly, and that was one of his most mm-hmm. uh, famous uh, appearances in the mainstream, in the lamestream media. In the media. lamestream media. And it was just kind of cool to see that he wasn't just this, like, I'm an artist, kind of... I mean, he had his white makeup and his contacts, but yeah. he sounded very intelligent. Yeah. I mean, you don't see him as him, like, the Brian, whatever his last name is, person that he really is. Even, like, in really early shots, you don't, like, he took on the Marilyn Manson persona and, like, that was, that's always been him. But I think ultimately, like, if someone has murder inside of them, it doesn't matter what fucking music they're listening to. Right, no. No, it doesn't matter what music they're listening to. Like, Manson was listening to the fucking Beatles. That's like the least violent music ever. <laughs> Fucking um, Alex in A Clockwork Orange was listening to Beethoven. So That's fictional. Shut up. It's not fictional. <laughs> That's a documentary. It's a uh, documentary about uh, the drugs. The, <laughs> um, oh the yeah. great drugs. David Cross has a great bit where he's like, yeah, violent video games are a real problem, but what I wonder is like, what video games were the Nazis playing? Because <laughs> those must have been terrific. <laughs> Should we get into the album? Yeah, holy fuck. <laughs> it's only been 20 minutes. It's only been 20 minutes. Um, so yeah, we're gonna get into the Fragile, fragile. Left. And I, I have more notes just about the production and whatever, but we can we can jump back in. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, let's just start. And we're gonna kick things off with Somewhat Damaged. Great start. So it's got this weird, almost carnival-esque feel at the top. It's like a banjo riff, I think. I don't um, think I don't think they credited a banjo tech. So no. it's probably just a weird acoustic guitar. Just hold on, because there's something of note, but I can't remember exactly what it is. Got some Trent breathing. Just all right. I'll, all right, I'll, I'll leave it up. I'll leave it up. <laughs> I 
I'm trying to find... I know that this album is really synth-heavy, but I read that in this album they only use, like, really, like, strange, like, stringed instruments. Like, not usual... I mean, like, there's guitars and stuff, but a lot of, like, wooden, hand-strung, just, like, weird... More natural. Yeah, I think later on they have like a ukulele or like a thumb piano. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different things happening. Um, but I really enjoy this song. I love this song. It's uh, it's very broken. Yeah. And yeah, it's it, right off the top. It basically sends this clear message that this album is not going to be like the Nine Inch Nails you heard on even Downward Spiral. It's like more instrumentally focused, and it's uh, going to use different techniques. Um, but also, yeah, even Trent's voice is on a different level. Like, yeah. he, he opens up into, like, the full scream, but it's, it's like, more controlled than it was. Like, he, he really became a master with this, yeah. I feel Let's like. Yeah, get into the chorus really quick. So, it's about heroin, right? No! <laughs> it's about heroin. No! I mean, he's too fucked up to care anymore, and it, I think it's just sort of about the cycle of addiction and how it just sort of degrades you the whole way down. I don't think this album is about addiction at all. But maybe, I guess he was in a really dark point around this time, so it could have been. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more Zippo flicking. Love that sample. Yeah, this is this is a great, great song, and I didn't realize quite how much I liked it until I was listening I to it yesterday. And it was just like, fuck. I feel like there was a solid six months where my status on MySpace was flown Somewhere. like flown too high and burnt the wing, lost my faith and everything. Oh wow. Like this has been this so this it was this song and the day the world went away and like the frail that I got into like I listened to that like I said this album came out about a year after my mom died so I listened to those three songs deepest pain and I decided that I'm not listening to this album for a very long time and I shelved it for a very long time because <laughs> I just couldn't fucking deal with it but like. In around 2009, I think I broke up with, like, the worst long-term boyfriend of my life. It was like... Alright, stop, because... Oh, yep. Yeah. That was somewhat damaged. Yeah, so that was somewhat damaged. So I broke up with somebody in, like, 2009, and I feel like this... Like, that song... There were so many Facebook statuses <laughs> of lyrics of that song. It's so fucking good. My favorite line is actually... Lick around divine debris, taste the wealth of hate in me. Mm-hmm. Shedding skin, succumb defeat, this machine is obsolete. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this machine is obsolete has definitely also been yep. MySpace and Facebook statuses. I mean, those are like some of the darkest, moodiest lyrics mm-hmm. he's ever written. Yeah. They're, it's incredible. Everything about that song. I love it. Uh, I also love, I have a How Much Angst. It's my only How Much Angst. How thing. Much Angst. Um, so the end of this, I guess we didn't really listen to the end of the song very clearly, but... Uh, the the angst of 
a mall goth who was abandoned by all their friends and family and has no ride home. Like, we were going to go to Hot Topic, we were going to buy matching chain wallets, and you didn't make it through. Where the fuck were you? <laughs> I left my mom's credit card at the hot dog stand. I had to go back. Ugh, I hate it. You just left. And the hot dogs weren't even that good. I should have got a Wetzel's hot sauce. <laughs> I think Wetzel's, I, I don't know if Wetzel's pretzels is actually a Midwest thing, but I've seen them everywhere in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, they're all, we have a lot of weird Los Angeles only chains. We have like Annie's pretzels or something. Um, anyway. <laughs> do you care what kind of pretzels, what kind of pretzels do you have? We want Annie's your feelings or on Wetzel's. pretzels. <laughs> and what's the best hot dog? Rock is salt? it really Nathan's? Sweet pretzel? Savory pretzel, whole grain mustard, oh, French mustard. Mustard? What are you, German? You dip that shit in cheese. I do, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing quite like. But the thing is, like, when you there's there's something about just dipping that that like freshly baked pretzel in nacho cheese. Oh. It's just like I'm gonna shit my pants later. Yes. Have you ever been to a beer festival? Uh, yes, actually. Do they do the things out here where at beer festivals you tie a necklace of pretzels around your neck? No, you holy do God. that in Wisconsin. You can do soft pretzels or just a necklace of like smaller pretzels, but it's basically you eat them and then re- yeah. retie the knot somehow. Well, you eat them off like a candy necklace. Oh, so there's you like don't a string. Undo the necklace. Yeah, I thought it was just a necklace made of pretzels. Come on, no, that's grow weird. up, Shia. Grow up. That is just like structurally not even a sound necklace. Um, but yeah, you put a string around your neck. It's covered in pretzels. The salt. Like, it keeps you eating because you're drinking beer all day, but the salt keeps you thirsty. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, all the I went, things I white people will fucking, do. I a fucking beer festival where Flogging Molly was playing, and they had, like, fucking, yeah, beer and, like, oysters for some reason. Ugh. It was San Francisco, so yeah, it was just like, wow, there's a lot going to be a lot of gross barf later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, you know what could really go with this double IPA? It's just, like... A giant booger going some, down Yeah, some throat. room temperature seafood. <laughs> I can't even with oysters. I don't know. I don't, I've never done it. I'm so scared. <laughs> I mean, it was in the middle of summer, too. Like, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, it was a great show. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> we cannot keep on track today. Uh, so, somewhat damaged. Uh, love the song. Love and it. sort of the, the whole um, gestalt of it. Sort of being like, oh, I'm just so fucked up and twisted. Like, mm-hmm. in 1999, still pretty original. You know, Jonan Vasquez hadn't totally ruined that for everyone. Hey, 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 don't even. <laughs> don't even. You like, not talk shit about the creator but, but of Johnny now, the But now we have, fucking, we have fucking Jared Leto as the new Joker with damage tattooed on his head. And it's just like, I hate it. Okay. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. That's because everything Batman that's come out post-Tim Burton has been fucking garbage. Christopher Nolan did a fine job. It was such a stupid... I hated it. But, I mean, Jared Leto's got to watch out. He's letting the Joker in there. You know, it's, yeah. He's going to mess with him, man. He's, he's already, like, he's sending, like, a dead pig to the, to right. the, to the crew. And it's All like, oh, right. my God. It's All so, right. It's so twisted. All right. Everybody in our culture hates Jared Leto. Yep. I think he's um, adorable. Next song, The Day the World Went Away, which we already talked about, so maybe really quick we just talk about it. Yeah. But not on trend. Let's talk about it. This, oh, and this song is, um, it is, fuck, I can't words today. 
It's confirmed. Confirmed to be written about his grandma. Yep. His grandma passed, which is kind of like, it puts this whole, this whole even sadder spin on this, because it's the day the whole world went away. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's almost singing it in the, from the perspective of a child, you know? Because, like, his grandma was the whole world. Yeah. And she went away. You can turn it up a little bit. It's the though. sweetest price he had to pay. No, not yet. Stop. I forget how long the intro is. Yeah, a lot of these songs have uh, basically it has a lead in. It takes a build. you. In, it takes yeah. It takes you into the world of the song. Yeah, it's kind of why I love the downward spiral and the fragile so much. Something I we already talked about this last week with my ma. Yeah, she hated it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. Not even of like the tender parts. I feel like. Introducing her to Closer first just guaranteed that she wouldn't even bother actually mean, trying to listen to the rest of them. I know my mom. <laughs> she wasn't going to budge. She's a very stubborn lady. She can be. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that about her. I like, I like a nice, stubborn lady. Because you meet moms, and they're just like, oh, honey, everything's great. But your mom was just like, this is garbage. <laughs> I want to speak to his mother. Somebody get Nancy on the horn. It's funny, like... <laughs> The older my mother gets, the more she becomes that lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's so great. I mean, I she never her. she never judges my choices in life, but the things that I like, she will kind of judge. Yeah, she's just like, where did I go wrong? I mean, you guys know about the castration of the Star Wars toys. Which, I mean, to me, that's like the biggest, my, that's the biggest uh, metaphor of my mom's style of parenting. Where it's like, yeah, you can have your Star Wars toys. No guns! Uh-huh. Oh, I love You're going to be a good, peace-loving boy. Yeah. Which I am now. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a phase where I was all about airsoft guns and fucking paintball guns and other things that shot things and looked like dicks. Dicks. I was a little man with a gun. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I'm going to paintball all over you. Ugh. Um, okay. Anyway, that's <laughs> a, I think we got enough uh, how the world went away. Uh, yeah, and I like... I really like the juxtaposition between Somewhat Damaged and The Day the World Went Away because it just, like, hits you in the face... And then it just, like, very gently stabs you in the heart. <laughs> it's uh, the lead and the zeppelin, if you will. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's, here's the frail. Delicate little instrumental track. All right, Resnerds, raise your hand if you learned how to play this on the piano. I did. <laughs> I don't even play piano. like softer than a lullaby even and I just love Trent at the keys it's just so calming and again like I can't I won't listen to the wretched without starting the frail first Mm. it just works so well yeah and it demonstrates his amazing chops as a soundtrack artist Mm -hmm. because like with so it's like a very sparse track there's so few notes Mm -hmm. but there's so much emotion 
It's like this tortured beauty. It's like so much pain and yet sort of like transcending. It's, it's, it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little... Oh! Um, the synth samples that you hear in the background, this is the first time Trent sampled his own voice, I think. And he, maybe not the first time, but... Well, I mean, on all those remixes, he was yeah, yeah. around with his voice. But he had, like, a, a, a synth pad that was actually just, like, all samples of his voice. Really excited about this next song. Of course, iTunes will not give us a smooth transition, but... I think, I think it does. Here, hang on. I think it's about to. Oh, it did! That was fine. Yes! Oh, I just live for that shit. The wretched. The wretched. I'm just gonna let this speak for itself for a minute. It's like a top top ten, possibly top five. I think I think once we hit like year zero and uh, the slip and hesitation marks, we should start compiling lists of, of our, our top. Yeah. And then we can even do like a you know high fidelity thing where it's like our favorite songs for blank. Yeah. You know, like our favorite blank songs. We should start compiling lists yeah. because if there's one thing I love to oh, fucking do, it oh. is compile a list. <laughs> right. I love lists. We're I want to see your list. We're going to come yeah. into the pre-chorus. And this is... This is a perfect example of him layering his voice in so many different ways. The song is fucking perfect. This is like maybe my favorite guitar line he's ever done too. Because what's cool is Trent is classically trained on the piano and he understands electronic and synth pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, he can build a really good drum rhythm. But in this album, he even confessed to Alan Mulder he doesn't understand the guitar quite oh, so much. Oh, really? So, I mean, the thing is he, he writes guitar like a non-guitarist. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of the key to his playing because yeah. like it's very expressive because it's very distinct yeah like i mean he'll use power chords and do some of the similar like four chord structures and whatever but a lot of that's just like his basic like piano composing when he's actually doing a guitar line for guitar yeah it's so different because like he'll play with the drums like that whole like that's that whole rhythm thing is like i love it it's got like this fucking it's hardcore it's got this like it's got this groove to it. I never knew that, and I I do find that his guitar playing is distinct and something that I've always really loved. Because he's not a guitarist. I mean, he, he he gets he plays the guitar. Yeah. But he's not like a guitarist. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. he's not trying to do squeedly meedly meedly. He's right. not he's not Eddie Van Halen. No. You know? That's why Robin Fink comes on tour because <laughs> he's perfect. I got a how much angst. Oh, how much angst? This has the angst of when you're the only person who did any work on your group project. 
and then because nobody else helped you, you all get a C. <laughs> Didn't turn out the way you wanted it. Did it? You uh, think I'm the only one here who knows anything about volcanoes? I did my part. <laughs> I learned everything there is to know about the Civil War. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. But, I was always the only person participating in the fucking group project. Yeah, in a group project, you always have the four personalities. Oh. You have the person who does all the work, the person who shows up but then doesn't help, um, and then the person who doesn't show up at all. Yeah. And then personality four. Yeah. Which I didn't think of ahead of time at all. I think personality four is the person who's definitely gonna help you and then doesn't fucking help you. Yeah, gets sick or like has to go take uh, care of their kid or something. Or is this like an idiot has to go take care of their kid? I mean, there's group, there's group projects in college where people are still not helping you. I know. Uh, oh, group projects make me want to die. Yeah, it's like how do I guarantee that people get the least out of this class? Oh yeah, to depend on each other. And you're never in a group project with your friends. It's always like... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Okay. So good. One of his best solos. Maybe oh, the best. So good. I don't even need to rant about group projects anymore. I was really getting what? off the rails. Long story short, I listened to this in high school, where I would often be paired with people who were less into being educated. Right. But, I don't know. Come junior year, I could give a fuck, too. Right. I was like, I got my 3.8. I'm just gonna coast here on out. Oh, um, so apparently this song was in Man on Fire, which came out in 2004, hmm. which is a movie I have not seen. Which one? That's not... I don't know. Is it a Denzel? I don't know. Is I didn't look it up. I don't know. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, well, we're almost done with this. I'm going to save us 20 seconds, give some time back to the room. Okay. Ah, this might sound familiar to Resner acquaintances out there. Res acquaintances? Res acquaintances. It's not my favorite song. Me neither. No. But it did appear in a trailer for the film 300. Weird. Like, I like all the... I like all the instrumental things he does, but... It's a deep mix. Oh, but I do have something on this song. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> stop! Oh, wait, wait. I'm an idiot. This was not in the trailer for the film 300. This is a completely different song. What song is in the trailer of 300? Just like you imagined. Oh. Bow, ba, bow, ba, bow, ba, bow. This is, we're in this together now. Right. <laughs> okay. Are we in this together now? I need you to tell me that we're in this together now. We're, you and me, we're in this together now. Because <laughs> I think you, you're, you've become impossible. It was the other sentence long title. <laughs> Okay. I have a long quote. Alright, lay it on me. So there is a magazine or something called Viva 2. I don't know. Sure. Here's what he said about this song. He's like, when I wrote that song, it was one of the last songs for the record. I like the obviousness of the track, but I was fearful that the obviousness of the track in the record that I think is pretty dense and somewhat challenging to get through. Wait. 
Fearful of, okay, I, okay. Let me, meh. Boy, yo, 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 Who's fearful of it, blah, 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 blah. I didn't want a song that was too obviously the hit single. Of all the tracks on that album, I think that was the hardest to arrange and mix because if it was mixed poorly, it sounded too obvious in the context of the record. And at that this point, we were very aware of the context of the record. He repeats himself so much that like my dyslexia gets worse because I think I'm reading the wrong paragraph, but I'm still reading the right paragraph. You're also reading. I mean, it sentence. On itty, I'm reading it on an iPhone. iPhone yeah, it's not itty bitty. It's an iPhone six. You know, you can zoom in. I know, but then I'll lose the rest. I'm not gonna scroll around. God, are you my Some grandpa? People. So what I learned from the process... Honey, okay. honey, you can zoom in when make the words Honey, bigger. I'm trying to read to you the... You gotta make hey, the... I'm hey. trying to read here. I don't know what just happened. I have no idea. So what I learned from the process of doing that was the vocal track I would have thrown out that was out of tune and my voice was breaking up was the one that I needed to use because it added a desperation that made the whole mood of the song feel right. So this is obviously the hit single but he didn't want he was afraid of it being obviously the hit single i'm really bad at reading out loud i shouldn't have offered to do that but well i'm dyslexic i like some like you ever get nervous when you're reading and then like a paragraph just like scrunches because i do no okay well somebody out there does (laughs) and you know my pain whenever the english three instructor was like okay who's gonna read now claire you read this fucking excerpt from oh, The Crucible, dude. which is the worst play ever I written. I relish those opportunities, because no, then I'm like, it. oh, you want me to read? Here we go. Professional grade reading voice. Ugh. Anyway. Because I know how words come together. Oh, fucking congratulations. I can even, I can even, like... I, Good the fuck for you. I see the commas coming up, and it's like, ah, oh, we're gonna have to do a half second pause here, take a little breath, continue. Okay. Like, so, oh, where should the emphasis be in this sentence? In the I just know. chorus of this song, Jerome Dillon played the drums, and he had been on tour with them. Um, there's a line in this song, the deeper the wound, I'm inside you, and I find that icky. Not my I favorite. get what he's saying, I just don't like the way in which he says it. There's another point where he says, they pick and they pause, oh, trying to get the fingers in. in. How are we going to kill what we found? How are we going to hate what they say? Are they going to make it go away? Are they going to make it disappear? Wow. You kind of went into an impression for a moment. You, I don't, I wasn't doing anything, but you definitely Michael Jackson the fuck out of that bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Should we move on to my other least favorite song? I think we've had enough of this. Um, Do you have I, I have something? a How Much Angst. Oh, yeah. This has the angst of Trent crowd surfing. And then people sticking their fingers where they don't belong. In his b-hole. Which don't he actually, stick your fingers in someone's b-hole. And that's like that's something he actually complained about. Which yeah. Is, he st- like he's still did all of his stage antics. Did not crowd surf yeah. anymore because he had way too many yeah. untrimmed fingernails going into his into sweet his little man vagina. I remember reading a few years back that Azalea Banks hates crowd surfing because people try to finger her. Yep. What the fuck is wrong with people? I mean, people try to finger... People just grope. Don't be disgusting. That's the thing. Resnards, don't be fucking disgusting. Like, crowd surfing, you're gonna come into contact with the hands of, like, 10 to 50 people. Yeah. And statistically, there's gonna be a fucking pervert. Yeah. Amongst those hands. Yuck. Don't fucking try to finger a person when they're having a good time. Unless having a good time involves them consensually letting you finger them. Don't just put your finger... In cutie little Trent Reznor's b-hole. And then it's like, what? 
Like, you, don't get if, me wrong. I you, would love if to. If you successfully insert your finger into Trent Reznor's anus, what do you do for the rest of the night? Yeah. Then you just what? Have, you just have Reznor stink, and you're just like, hey, everybody. Like, Smell my finger. <laughs> like, like, if he asked me to put my finger in his beehole, I would love to. But if he doesn't ask me to, I'm not going to fucking put my finger in his beehole. Right, and then you're just going to have, like, he's going to have irritated hemorrhoids, and it's going yeah. to affect the tour. If your finger's dirty, come on, man. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Especially, like, yeah, fucking, I can't even imagine the crowds at Woodstock, like, grimy, unwashed Muddy hands. fingers yeah. and beeholes. <laughs> Get a life. Could it be? Anyway. Could it be worse? Um, anyway, this could it song, be whole worse? And my interpretation of this song is how it's about he's trying to grow as an artist, and he constantly has to push his limits, and he's never content to retread old ground. Mm-hmm. So when he's saying, "You and me, we're in this together now," sorry, the ending of this is really pretty though. Keep talking though. We're in this together now. He's sort. It's sort of like singing to himself. He's just sort of like it's like mm-hmm. a motivational song. Mm-hmm. You and me. If the world should break into, we're still gonna get through this. And it's weird, like the video. Have you seen the video? It's like black and white. Everybody's running. And it seems like he's running with a crowd, but it seems like he's very much running alone at the same time. Like, he's not trying to help anybody Hmm. in the whole, like, context of we're in this together now. And now we have Fragile. This is probably my least favorite song in this album. Okay. Hit it. There's probably a lot of feelings about his grandma in this song. It's a beautiful song. I think I dislike it so much because I've heard it so many times. Oh, this isn't about his grandma. No? No. What's it about? This is about the the leg lamp from Christmas Story. She shines in a world full of ugliness. She doesn't see her beauty because she's indescribably beautiful. Gonna build a wall and keep them on the other side of the window... Okay, you're fired. <laughs> I won't let you fall apart. I mean, frankly, this whole album uses a, a heavy-handed metaphor of 1950s domestic life. The song even samples the sound of keys hitting the kitchen table. Stop it! <laughs> it's a major... And he's not going to let her fall apart. The lamp gets broken at the end of the film. Spoiler alert! Fragile. She doesn't see her beauty. Okay. I like this one. It's sappy and stupid, but I like it. We're gonna go way over with this app. Yeah, it's fine. Do you think it's about his grandma? I don't think it's about her, but I think that there's a lot of feelings about her. There's a lot of feelings about her happening. I feel like the first... The first verse is kind of, in a way, sounds a bit like a eulogy. Mm. Like she's dead, so he can't not let her fall apart. Yeah, she shines. But of ugliness. I don't know. I'm sure it's about a lot of things. Because like when you're coping with death, you're not like expressing exact words that make sense in the context of that death. There's a lot of other things happening. But. 
so this sounds a lot to me like later on in uh, with Atitha. Mm -hmm. uh, like right where it belongs or all those other songs where he's, yeah. it's like you and me against the world you know? yeah um, yeah I don't know my reading of this when I heard it in high school was of course that he's singing to like his troubled girlfriend oh. Oh, I'm there to support you oh. you just wear these Hot Topic bracelets to cover up the tiny little razor marks wait, wait, on your arms are you ready for this Hot topic! <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I found the Long Beach hot topic. There's one in that mall what? downtown. Shit. Yeah, it's right next to Starbucks, which is weird. But I didn't go the in there. All the t shirts are made. Right. I do like the band t shirts that Hot Topic sells, but I always go in there and feel really icky. <laughs> this is maybe the best part of the song. Yeah. I do like the end where it starts shouting. But again, like, this takes way longer than I thought it did. Yep. yep That's yep, what yep. she said. I mean, Alan Mulder said, like, yeah, Trent doesn't get the guitar, really, but he expresses himself on it as good as anyone I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Which is completely true. Yes. Because, yeah, like, he's not following a typical structure of any kind. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's sort of a scale, but it's just, like, the way he sort of moves through it is, it's not like anything I've heard. Right. It pretty much stands on its own. Totes. I love it. All right, let's give a few seconds back to the room. Uh-huh. We're pushing 50 minutes. Oh, yeah, we are. Well, yeah. Uh, here's that song that was in that movie. <laughs> and this features Andrew Bellew from King Crimson on the guitar. Oh, as well shit. as Danny Loner. Cool. This sounds just like... Um... You imagine. <laughs> You. Just like every day is exactly the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How much angst? How much angst? When you're like a serious actor and you get cast in some CGI gay porn about Romans or some shit. <laughs> CGI gay porn, huh? That is a market I've never explored. You've seen 300. <laughs> all, it's, all it needed was a few more butts. <laughs> like... Had tons of man meat. Yeah. Up up above the waist. A little bit of titty. There, there were some tits. Yeah. Yeah, but it really needed some more butts. I feel like. Everything needs more butts. You're right. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if you can CGI abs on every extra, you can CGI a nice butt on like two or three. You know? Yeah. I feel like this is a mad decent instrumental. Oh God, there was. <laughs> Thanks for going up over my voice and then down for your own. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What I, I don't know what I'm doing. Then stop doing it. <laughs> the monkeys on typewriters over here. Go on, what were you saying? This song in particular, I have like some angst about because um, in high school there was a girl who I knew had a crush on me, and I was like trying to sort of impress her or something, and oh, she's geez. like, "Oh, Shia, what music do you listen to?" And I had my like first generation iPod that I was listening to, and I was like, "Oh, check this out!" And I put on like the chorus of "Just Like You Imagined." The then, or whatever it is. Yeah. And she just looked at me with uncomprehending eyes like, what are you? And I think she stopped liking me as she was listening to this. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, 
Well, what is, what I mean, is like, this? Is it like an orchestra? Let's be true. Like, if, if she didn't get it, then you would have been wasting your time pursuing her anyway. Yep. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yep. Nothing ever happened, okay? Oh my god. Yeah. Alright, I felt. I feel All like right. we've listened to. Oh, wait, wait. No, I've got another How Much Angst. Oh my god. When you're Lena Hetty and you have to portray a character named Gorgo. <laughs> that, that was her name in 300. That was Lena Hetty. Hetty? I thought it was pronounced Heating. Eh. Eh. We gotta get through Whatever. this shit. Whatever. We saw our boobies. Even deeper. The car alarm is not part of the song. No. This is a... Such an angsty little... It's kind of like a heartbreak song, but it's also kind of like a self-fulfilled prophecy. Heartbreak. And it has kind of a hip-hoppy bounce to it. Which is... Maybe, like, Dre is credited on this track. Yeah. Lest we forget. Yeah. He assisted in the production? It just says mixing consultant. Okay. So I don't think he actually did much. Yeah. He probably just hung out and talked to everybody. Nodded his head. Yeah. He may have touched... I think you have to touch one control to yeah. get a credit. Yeah. I'm sure he helped. Dre's all about that shit. Trent, I really admire this album. I know you call yourself Nine Inch Nails. And the song is even deeper. Like, you talk about dicks even more than gangster rap. <laughs> yeah, that wish I felt so <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. In college. somewhat yep. damaged. So this is like, it's almost like theatrical. This is almost like the intermission song where like all the, all the different threads of the story come together yeah. into this thing. And it's like... The all the, all the cast members come out to sing one big thing before the curtain falls for the intermission. Right, exactly. Yeah. They do a chorus line. Um, and yeah, it's like the, the protagonist is trying to figure out like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I feel all this? He's basically trying to sort of heal and overcome all the all the shit that was going on in Downward Spiral, and um, it's it it almost uh, he he says that no matter how close he gets to solving the puzzle, it runs even deeper, which yeah. is what my experience has always been with mental health. It's like oh, you know, you think you figure out like you get to a good place in your therapy or, or your medication or whatever, and it's like oh, maybe I get it, and then it's kind of like a Gordian knot, like it's even more complicated than you thought. Yeah. I like the his voice in this part. Because oh, yeah. it like I hit the lamp. It like goes up. Definitely hits the top of his range. And then what do we get? More nanas. Anyway, should we? That's that's kind of what pushes this into the, like the sing-along anthem, you know. I like it a lot. The na 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 We still have. God damn it! We're already over an hour. Stop harping on it. We have four more freaking three more freaking songs. That's, okay, yeah. We're... Four songs, and one of them's barely a song. 
We can give time to the room. Like, this just... He mumbles for a while. Let's vamoose. It's... I mean, it has a good resolution. It's just like... Oh, wait. Okay. So what 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 is that that little sample there? Like, isn't that like, isn't that like a jingle or like a car commercial or something? It's like what moves you. I don't know. It sounds very commercial to me. Okay. So anyway, what I was saying about mental health, <laughs> you, 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 you try to figure it out, but then ultimately, like it's. You have to just sort of put it in some perspective and go on with your life. Because yes. you're, you're never going to get all the answers. No. You have to just sort of get into a place where you feel comfortable. Right. And roll with it, you know? It's not like anything you do is going to change the chemistry of your brain permanently. You just have to keep trying. Um, and yeah, Trent actually briefly did uh, some therapy. But that's what's funny is like he, he did a lot of coke. He was banging heroin for a little bit. And then he, when it comes time to actually like go into therapy, he's like, ah, it's not for me. It's uh-huh. a, little, it's a little too heavy. Um, so yeah, like, he, he did therapy for a minute, but then rejected medication. Then it's like, how fucked up is it that society puts a bigger stigma on seeing a therapist rather than just being, you know, cokehead right. rock star? Right. <laughs> I spent so many years just like, I don't need therapy, it's not for me. And, like, the benefits that, like, I could have been a much more well-rounded adult if I would have just gone to fucking therapy as a teenager. Right. I mean, <laughs> Resnerds, if you have health insurance, uh, look at what the behavioral and mental benefits are. If you don't have health insurance, there's a lot of professionals who will charge you based on a sliding scale. I've paid like $10 to see a therapist yeah, before. Like, yeah. just talk to somebody. Figure out what so your copay important. is. Figure out how you can make it happen. Find therapy a therapist is so important. With. Jesus. Even if you just like, like a lot of times... They're not even, like, asking you hard-hitting questions. They're just... You just strike up a conversation and go from there. It's Mm -hmm. such a... It's just so nice. And the money that you save on journals and razor blades alone. And, like, pill prescriptions that aren't yours. (laughs) All right, pilgrimage. Oh, yeah, if you see a therapist, also, you don't have to buy drugs on the street anymore. Because they will give you Xanax. Oh, yeah. They will give you Xanax. And it's You gotta just find a guy who will listen to you, and it's like... My life is fucking horrible. And they're like, you know what? Let's make it less horrible. Have some of this. Yeah. You know? Anyway, kill your image. <laughs> I have a theory about this song. Oh, good. Um, it's like a metaphor for the self-destruction tour. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, he's, it's got that, like, sort of circus sideshow feel to it. And then it's got these, like, yelling, crazy, chaotic crowds. So it's sort of like what he was going through when he was on tour. And it's got this, like, a relentless drumbeat of, like, a forced march. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we're on the fucking road, and we have to keep bringing the energy to every single show. <sighs> and it also features the chanting by the Buddha Boys Choir. Which Buddha is Boys! something I've never heard of. Um, got a how much angst. How much angst? It has the angst of Marilyn Manson when he gets jizz in his contacts. hey oh, sick burn on Marilyn. Have you ever gotten jizz in the eye? Because let me tell you, it is a horrible experience. <laughs> it is a horrible experience. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it just, like, dries your eyeball up and it feels like it'll never be the same again. You, like, feel it in there. It's only happened to me once. Miscommunication. 
Never again. Yeah, it's like, what? Oh! Um, actually, I've gotten... My mom listens to this. Mom. Does she? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know if she knows where to find it, even. I mean, she... it, sound, it seemed like she didn't even want to listen to it my when we dad were doing... might find my dad's a little more tech savvy than my mom yeah he might figure this out so do you would not want to talk about it well i once came in my own mouth <laughs> it was just a powerful arc and... <laughs> anyway like um, by accident oh yeah by okay accident. i wasn't like <laughs> oh yeah here, yeah, here we go and <laughs> one of those things Bullseye. where you like throw a grape up and try to catch it in your mouth That's exactly what happened <laughs> I was standing up the whole time, too. <laughs> did a, yeah. Beautiful. All right. Um, All right. Should we break for a commercial before yeah. we dive into the last three songs? Let's do that. Okay. So stay tuned, Res Nerds. We're going to resolve the fragile left right after this message. Hey, Res Nerds. Want to listen to something a little less angsty? Check out this podcast from the Benview Network. I'm Mark from Comic Nerds Unite, and this is my hetero life mate, Tim. What's up, Mark? And what's up, world? Comic Nerds Unite is a comic book podcast, plain and simple. Our mission statement is bringing nerds together to talk comics. So we pick a book or graphic novel that we all read and discuss it at length. Then we talk about some of the books we read for the week. I love comics! Me too, buddy. Check us out on ComicNerdsUnite.com or on iTunes. Comic Nerds Unite! And welcome back. Alright, so in the last two episodes we talked about how if you write uh, a review for our show on iTunes, mm-hmm. we would sing you a little song. And here we are, um, So the up against the wall, <laughs> having to bite the bullet and honor our agreement. So, um, our friend Darcy from Australia hmm. wrote us this beautiful review. It's called Trent, and the review is, whoops, confuse this with TED Talks. Still great. Five stars. <laughs> He's a cheeky little thing. I mean, that's funnier than a lot of things we've done on this podcast, <laughs> so fuck you, Dar- Dar- Darcy. Darcy. Whatever your name is. <laughs> He's perfect. And he requested that we sing in the tune of Reptile. All right. And um, a little bit of false advertisement. We said we would write you a song. We did not write this song. We're just going to wing it. All right. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. It's terrible. This one goes out to Darcy, who, by the way, has a killer rock band. Yeah. Which we'll listen to a little bit of later. I love this song. I know, I do too. I'm about to ruin it. (laughs) The ruiner. I thought that this was TED Talks, but this is something else. (laughs) I wanted to hear about planets. And maybe micro loans. Micro loans? <laughs> I want to save the world with all my groundbreaking ideas. And graphic design. <laughs> but now I'm just hearing about Resner 
And I guess that's fine. <laughs> so thanks for that review, Darcy. I really enjoyed it. Um, sorry about that song not being everything I hoped it would be. It was perfect. It was okay, it was great. I guess. Um, so here's a little taste of Max Schoen and the Curbside Collective. Yeah. Um, with their new single, Treat Me Rough. And if you like that, you can find them on SoundCloud. Max Chillin and the Curbside Collective from Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. If you're in Brisbane, like, check them out. They're so good. They're up and coming. Um, Darcy is really cool. We call him Darby sometimes because he likes to change his name on Facebook and it's really confusing. He's one of those artists. (laughs) Yeah. But he... He, um... Is... Very fun, very positive, and... Oh, and here's some of his crispy vocals. It kind of has, like, a post-rock sound. It's really good, and he's very... Like, he is one person that I've known in our generation who, like, embodies a lot of the spirit of Bowie. Hmm. So, not not in his music, but in his personality and, and dress and demeanor. He's a very cool guy. So now you know if you write us a review, we will flatter the pants off of you. Yeah, write us a review! Because you can tell us what you wrote, and you can tell us what you're doing. I would love to give a plug. And well, yeah, basically we're trading reviews for just, just heartfelt compliments. Yeah. Alright, so we got about three more songs to plow through. Yeah. Let's get this shit done. Yeah. So, Claire, do you like this next song? No, I don't. <laughs> This next song is called No You Don't. <laughs> My note on this is nope. <laughs> no you don't. Oh no you don't. Oh no you don't. <laughs> so... That was, yeah. Mm. <laughs> really came in there. <sighs> There's not a lot in this I like. No. And What uh, about like the weird baby voice that it yeah, happens? Yeah, he's, it's like a schoolyard <laughs> I'm taking up the holes. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Faces. <laughs> Little worn down, broken down. Which, like, as much as I hate this song, I know the words. I've listened to it so yeah. many times. It, it doesn't really fit into the whole album. No. It sticks out. No, it don't. It's just a real... It's just a... It's not good. Is this I mean, the good part with the... Baby's got a problem? Like why? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how this snuck in there. I, I want to read more about the production. This is history so of this rain, thing. rain, go away. This <laughs> is like the siren baby cry. Yeah, this is definitely 1999's down in it. It's so bad. It's really fucking. And what I think is happening is, you know, he talks about um, how you think you're so great and you're not. So it's like maybe this is another diss track to Marilyn Manson. Um, oh, maybe. Which is funny because I think Trent's music is at its worst <laughs> when he is, like, pissed off at a specific person. Yeah, it's so bad. Like, his song with, you know, Eat Your Heart Out, Steve, like, all that. Like, his music just starts to fucking suck if he's mad at you. Yeah. So, guys, stop annoying Trent Reznor. <laughs> treasure stop him. Stop it. Like, we be need... Be good to him. 
He's all we got left. Bowie's we gone. We need the music Prince to be is good. Gone. <laughs> what what freaks me out? Fucking Trent's sixty years old. Yeah, he's only nine years younger than Bowie. Fucking for real. Like yeah. I thought, like Bowie's like timeless. You know. Prince was sixty-five. Prince was fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Yeah. Prince was fifty-seven. Younger than Trent Reznor. Jesus fucking Christ! Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. This so, has been a heartbreaking year. I cannot. I cannot deal with the death of Bowie and Prince in one year. And Alan Rickman. And one Alan of, Rickman. One of the greatest Trent Reznor uh, lookalikes. I love him so much. God damn it. You can still look for Trent Reznor on Google Images and get a lot of great pictures <laughs> pictures of Alan Rickman. That uh, you could see. With your little so burned out, low. washed out, see through soul. Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. Um. Yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah. You want to hear some more? No. No, you don't. <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, God. So another there. song that totally sticks out, but in a good way. La Mer. <sighs> ah, yes, this is La Mer. I very much like the ocean. Are you trying to Bjork right now? Actually, that would be a good... <laughs> this would be a great compared to Bjork. This is La Mer. <laughs> it is a song about how we will embrace the sea. That's actually what the lyrics are. And when the day arrives. And when the day arrives. I very much like the ocean. It's full of animals and also fish and tiny mollusk. <laughs> Sometimes I like to eat the mollusk with chopstick. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, we should just do a no, podcast it's, about it. So, okay. It's, and when the day arrives, I'll become the sky. Mm. It's translated differently because there's what he wrote and then translated into Creole French, but then there's the actual literal translation and they're two pretty different things. Yeah, I guess it's like colloquial. Yeah, very much. But anyway, the song's called La Mer. It's got a cute little piano line and uh, it's a little bit like Piggy because it builds into this thing, drops a bass line in there. And this is the only song that he wrote when he was living at Big Sur. Right. And... Um, Basically, he moved out there to write. Yeah, overcome his writer's block. But then instead, he just contemplated suicide. Right. And he only wrote this song. That's kind of, yeah, this song is like a a memory from that time when he wanted to throw himself into the ocean. Yeah. Which is crazy because, like, it sounds like kind of a positive song. It's got a good groove to it, and it's got this sort of, like, just just tasty little melody. Mm -hmm. But it's about, I want to die now. Yeah. I want to die now. So I think it's... I want to do it without looking at the lyrics, but I think it's... And when the day arrives, I'll become the sky, and I'll become the sea, and the sea will come to kiss me, for I am going home. Nothing can stop me now. Right? So, like, the song that you would least suspect being a suicide note could have well been the last song yeah. Trent Reznor ever made. And there's a Like... When you're dealing with a really horrible difficult death or just like at that place in your life like the metaphor of the sea being like welcoming and like annihilating is like a very strong metaphor that I think a lot of people relate to yeah it's like rejoining eternity yeah like you come back from where you came yeah just like the abyss the infinity nothing right yeah you go into the blackness that was there before you were born. And then a shark eats you. <laughs> and then a shark comes and nibbles on your fingers. 
nibbles on your clothes? Because their eggs are called purses. <laughs> I use the shark as a purse. You gotta get closer, uh, I think. Anyways. <laughs> um, I hope that the, your VR came I, through. I, I like this track a lot. I think, I don't know, like, I think all the... He wrote it at Big Sur. I don't think he recorded it there, though. Yeah, I don't think I he think recorded he record, anything He recorded there. it after he had some perspective on it. Yeah. Which is why I think the drum beat and everything else kind of sounds like a little more up, a little happier. Mm-hmm. You know? A little more major key. Meow. Oh, and the singer on that song is Denise Milfort. You may not have been able to hear her. No, it's, but... It's way down there. I like the little guitar line at the end. Wait, there she is. Well, that's it. She gone. She Nothing gone. can stop us now. Yeah. Nothing Great can song. stop me now. Kind of reminds me of like a water level in Mario 64. Hey, we didn't talk about video games in about three weeks. We talked about video games being violent earlier in this episode. But not like a specific video oh game. Oh my god. So this is kind of like Mario 64 water level. Um, and now we have one <laughs> song left, and then we're out of here. We gotta go to a run fair, guys. We gotta go to a run fair. We're in costumes right now. Well, I'm holding mine. <laughs> I'm in my underwear holding my costume right hey, now. Hey, hey. <laughs> Leave something to the imagination, will ya? <laughs> so what's this song called? The Great Below. And it starts off with these distorted violin riffs. Metaphor of the ocean returns. I love and hate this song. You hate it? Well, no, I, I guess I'm just frustrated that it doesn't go faster, <laughs> which is dumb. That is so <laughs> dumb. I guess the only part that I didn't like was how I was waiting for it to start. Yeah. I just wanted the song so bad. But the whole thing is a song. It's a work of art. And this part... Sometimes I don't order an appetizer with my song, alright? What? (laughs) Sometimes I'm just ready for the entree. Okay, well you had, like, eight other entrees on this album. You're right. I'm getting greedy. This is dessert. I love the little chorus. He's like harmonizing with two or three other voices. Yeah. And that line at all that could have been is very important. Yeah, so this song was also in Man on Fire, apparently. Whatever. Definitely got that epic soundtrack feel. And um, ambient guitars on this song are Danny Lohner. Charlie Clauser is credited as ambiance. 
I think we're coming in on my favorite Trent Reznor vocal performance of all time. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's at full bore scream. Yeah. But it's still very controlled, and it's, 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 he's hitting every note. He's making that that whole architecture of the song come together. You can, like, feel... feel. God, it's good. Yeah, perfect. It's just, like, the perfect resolution for this side of the album. So is it about death? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing is about... Like, I, I think that, like, a lot of this song sounds like he's talking to himself or, like, yeah. the self that he once was. Right. Or the self that he knows he can be but just, like, can't find. I think overall it's about transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily the end of something. Because a lot of times, I mean, like, when, you're, when your parent dies or when somebody so close to you dies, like, there's a part of you that dies. Mm. And it's hard, like, there's a hole in you that can't be filled. Right. And, like, it's horrible. So I think there's a lot of that happening. Yeah, and the pain you feel at those times is actually, like, kind of growing pains of the soul. You know? mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're becoming something new and, and better and bigger. Yeah. There's always, like, a question of self, like... Like, what's the point? Why am I here? Like, this will amount to nothing. One day I'll be dead, too. I might as well just be dead. Like, a lot of those things can happen when dealing with something like that, too. Yeah, death is the ultimate teacher. It's the only thing all of humanity has in common. Yeah. I hate myself for saying It's the only thing we all do alone. (laughs) I mean, when you're getting born, you have somebody there with you. When you're dying, it's the only thing you do completely. Would it be hilarious if, like, we crawled back into a vagina to die? I don't know why that just came into my mind. What the fuck? All right, good night, everybody. That's been our show. <laughs> Let's go to the red fair. <laughs> uh, real quick, I wanted to uh, get, drop some hot Trent Reznor news. So one segment oh, I wanted yes, to do on yes, the show yes, yes, yes. is uh, just you know just sort of keep it current. We just want to talk about things that are going on with Trent now, just yeah. so you don't totally tune out. Like, ugh, I wasn't even aware of Trent in 1999. Why do I give a fuck? Yeah. Um, so Trent is still a very active recording artist. He does soundtracks. He does all kinds of shit. He's the mm-hmm. representative of Apple Music. So here's some fresh news. About Trent Reznor. In a segment I like to call. I know when that hotline trend. That will be time well spent. <laughs> I did not really think this through. <laughs> so let me give some news to you. Anyway, hotline trend, everybody. Uh, so, fuck, I'm, I didn't... See, no, it's perfect, I, it's perfect, like, let's take a guess it, it's I perfect. I have my strengths as a comic artist. This is not it. No, but the fact that you are willing to do it says so much. Like, you, I feel like you go into this knowing, this is gonna, gonna be bad. I'm gonna mess this up. This is going to be bad. But it's, it's like, I was thinking about it 
The effort for is hours. It's still it's fucked so it up. It's so good. No, it's so good. I loved it. Still fucked it up. I laughed with and at you, but I love it so much. I'm so happy that it happened. Okay, what so is Trent a, doing right now? He's going to appear in the remake of, of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks with his wife. Yeah, pretty amazing news. So Twin Peaks is coming back. Not, uh, not as we know. Trent Reznor's first encounter with David Lynch's work. Well, of course. So, I mean, he soundtracked Lost Highway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now Lynch is sort of having a renaissance very late in his career. Yeah. Um, and they released a full cast list of the new season of Twin Peaks, which will include a bunch of musicians, including Trent Reznor. And Ed Ved. Yeah, Ed Ved. <laughs> um, so the series isn't going to come out until 2017, but we now know that a bunch of favorites are reprising their roles, mm-hmm. and... Um, Trent Reznor and his wife are going to appear. Ooh, Cheryl Lee is going there. Also, Robin Fink will be there. Oh, good. And my favorite Los Angeles improv gal, Stephanie Allen. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. It's going to be so great. I guess now I have to finish fucking season two. Right. I mean, once you know who killed Laura Palmer, it's pretty much all over. No, there's an event that occurs much later, and that is it. I just can't... I don't even know if I should say it, because I don't want to spoil this. Well, no shit, you shouldn't say it. Because, like, there's gonna... Oh, one one point I wanted to make is, like, there was such a gap between Downward Spiral and The Fragile that Trent basically had a whole new generation of fans that never saw him live and never had heard a new album. Right. Like, they're like, what is this artist? Which is, like, kind of where I was Do you at. think I was gonna spoil who killed Laura, Laura Palmer? No. Okay. I don't think you're that depraved. <laughs> There's just like a human who either becomes trapped in or becomes an object. You know. Oh what my I'm god, no. About. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh god. And it and makes it's just no like, sense. What the fuck is this? Oh, it makes no I've sense. I've sat through Eraserhead and like Inland Empire, and I still don't know what the fuck that one scene in Twin Peaks is. David Lynch doesn't even understand his own work. I don't think so. He just basically has fever dreams, and (laughs) then is like, oh, that's good. But you know what? I'll write that down. You know what? The fact that he puts it out there, I love it. He uses transcendental meditation to come up with new ideas. (laughs) I love when he shows up in Twin Peaks as that super minor character, the the deaf detective. What? (laughs) What? He's perfect. He's so good. I love David Lynch. He's so weird. He's just the best. He's just the best. Anyways. So that's been our... Uh, that has been our episode. Yeah. Oop, whatever this is, let's make oh, this Oh, Justin step. Bieber. Justin Bieber karaoke. What do you mean? That's, no, no, let's no, close no, out no. on that. No, 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 let's not. Oh, let's let's play a little more of this uh, Max Chillin' as we close out. Certainly. All right. So um, bring it down. We're going to talk. So find us. Facebook.com slash Trent Talk Pod. Find us at Twitter. At Trent Talk Pod. Give us your how much angst. Hashtag how much angst. We actually got a couple. Oh, no shit. Um, so this fellow that we communicate with on Facebook. Come on. Are you seriously not going to load right now? Stop yelling at your phone. <sighs> it's just like, what is this? Shoot us an email. At Shoot us Trent- an email at trendtalkpod at gmail.com and find us at benviewnetwork.com slash trendtalkpod. So we got from at... Blurt2D2, how much angst in college going to a movie with a friend, listening to The Downward Spiral, and she skipped a warm place. Who the fuck? Okay. How much angst? As much angst as when I was 13 and my copy of The Downward Spiral got scratched and started skipping. Pretty tragic. That is fucking tragic. I don't... I don't... 
totally know if he gets the concept of how much angst? No, that's totally it. Is that right? Yeah. He did it right? Yeah. I mean, normally... I mean, like, what does angst mean to you? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be a rules lawyer here, <sighs> but usually it's not about Nine Inch Nails. I've had, yeah, it can be. All right. Yeah, I mean, Russ's How Much Angst was about the di- downward spiral. I guess that's right. Yeah. So, don't angst police our fans. It is I, the angst policeman. <laughs> All right. Um, if you rate and review us on iTunes, we'll do a song. We'll do a song, and we'll rehearse Claire it next time. Claire will sing it next time. <laughs> I All right. was just joshing, yeah. All right. So let's... thanks a lot, res nerds. We'll we'll hear see love on you next week. That was weird. That's not our sign off. That's gross. Um, um, nine, nine inch nailed it. it. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.